Well, uh, as you're very aware, um, at least as of today, we're in the middle of a season called Advent. And um, what, are you, what are we doing in Advent? Um, well, one of the ways to think about Advent is Advent is a season of waiting. It's a season of anticipation. Um, so just as the ancient Israelites were awaiting and were longing for the Messiah to come, for Jesus to come and be born into this world. So we, in the season of Advent, we identify with them in that longing, in that, in that anticipation of Jesus coming in uh, the light and love that is his presence to all of the dark places uh, of our world. So, uh, as strange as it sounds, Advent really is a season where you are encouraged to be impatient. Advent is a season where you're encouraged to be dissatisfied. You're encouraged to be discontent. Now, not dissatisfied and discontent uh, for the typical reasons, not because you need more stuff, but because you need more Him. This is a season, Advent season is a season where you are encouraged to say, Jesus, I need more of you. I need more of you in my life. I need more of you in my work. I need more of you in this relationship. I need more of you in this church. Advent is a season where we can identify with what St. Augustine once said, which is that earthly riches are full of poverty. We don't need more stuff. But Christ's riches, they are... They are incalculable. They are innumerable. They are, what does Paul say in the passage that we're gonna read today? They are unsearchable, meaning they have no end. You cannot search through them to find an end to the riches of Christ. What that means is that you can always still long for more, more and more of him. So let's read this passage Together, Would you follow along with me? It's in your bulletin or on your phones and your Bibles. We've come to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 to 13. This is God's word for us today. Paul writes, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. This is God's word for us today. <clears throat> The unsearchable riches of Christ, Paul calls them. The unsearchable riches. That word unsearchable, it's this fascinating Greek word. It's used in other places in the Bible to refer to the vastness of God's entire creation. It's as if Paul is saying, Christ's riches are as vast as the universe. 
They're as vast as the universe. And so what I wanna do for the next few minutes is I wanna remind myself of these gospel riches in Christ. And you can listen if you want to. I'm gonna remind myself of these gospel riches in Christ because if Advent is about inviting more and more of Jesus into the dark places, the hurting places of our lives and our world, then part of that is to remember, remember, to reconnect to our internal stories, the story that our lives are connected to in Christ that are filled with bountiful, unsearchable riches. So here's what we're gonna do for the next few minutes. We're gonna look at three things. We're gonna look at, there's a vertical dimension to these riches in Christ. There's a horizontal dimension to these riches in Christ. And then we're gonna look at a couple of character traits that should be true of us if we have experienced these riches in Christ, all right? So first, let's talk about the vertical dimension to these riches in Christ. If you're a Christian, do you know how rich you are? Like, do you know? Do you know how rich you are in Christ? Do you, are you aware, like have you taken stock, have you looked at your life, have you looked at what the Bible says, and have you taken stock of the unsearchable riches poured out on you from heaven as a gift in Christ? Do you know these riches? And you say, well, okay, well, Joe, can you remind me what some of these are? What are these riches? And I think if we took that question to Paul, Paul would say, please go back and read what I've written thus far. In chapters one and two and on, this is Paul telling us the riches of the gospel. And so what I wanna do for the next few minutes is I'm just gonna take us back and we're gonna go down that, we're gonna journey down that road that Paul has laid out for us already. What are these riches of Christ that come into your life by faith. Okay, here's the first one, right? I'm gonna give you a list of these. You can write them down if you want or just let them kind of simmer, okay, in your heart. Think about them, ponder them, ponder anew these things, okay? Number one, God has predestined you. God has predestined you. Chapter one, verses four and five. Even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, in love, he predestined you. Before you were ever a thought in someone's mind, you were in his mind, and he set his love on you. Now just stop right there. Is there anything else that you need? Do you, need, do you truly need anything else? That the God of the universe, before he even created the universe, looked down the corridors of time and said, Chad is loved. Looked down the corridors of time and said, Ben, Nathan, Gretchen, loved. Do you need anything else? Could we just stop right there? The God of the universe setting his love on you before you were even you. But there is more. God's predestined you. Second, God has regenerated you. Regenerated means made alive again. Made alive again. And these are some big theological words. Don't be scared of them because they're awesome. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. But God being rich in mercy even when we were dead in our trespasses, our sins, made us alive together with Christ. So here's the thing, even though God from eternity past 
looked ahead and saw me and set his love on me, because of the sin in me, my heart, the eyes of my heart are not going to turn and see what he's done for me without him breathing life into my dead heart. That's regeneration. And it leads to the third thing in this list of riches, which is faith. God has given us faith. Chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your doing. It is a gift of God. So what happened in me when I went from wanting nothing to do with Jesus to wanting everything to do with him? What happened in me? Faith happened in me. And I didn't just find something in me that was just, that's always been there. No, I discovered something that hadn't been there that now was. Because it's a gift, and if you're a Christian, and if you remember a day when you weren't, you know that to be so. It showed up like a gift. He's predestined you. He's regenerated you. He's given you faith. Fourth, God has justified you. He's justified you. Chapter 1, verse 7, Paul writes, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Justified means, it's, it's, again, sounds like a big word, real simple definition. You ready? Justified means though you are guilty, you're guilty of many sins, many serious sins, though you're guilty, God pronounces you innocent. How? Because of the blood of Jesus shed for those sins and because of the perfect life he lived credited to you. Again, okay, this is sound, maybe it's sounding like, yeah, I know this stuff, Joe, or yeah, this just sounds like biblical theological terms, but think about it for a second. Do you need anything else? Unsearchable riches, predestined, regenerated, given you faith, justified you, fifth, God has adopted you. God has adopted you, Paul says. Chapter one, verse five, he predestined us for what? For adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. Don't miss this just because you've heard it before. Hear it as if for the first time. You in Christ get to relate to the one who has made all as father. And don't let, don't let the flaws in your earthly father cloud and get in the way of this perfect metaphor, okay? Because your heavenly father is never going to abandon you. He's never going to shame you. He's not embarrassed by you. He will be with you always, and, his, and he never wants you to think that his love for you is at all connected to your performance for him or anyone else. He's adopted you, adopted you as his beloved child. Six, you say, how many of these are? Yeah, that's the point, right? These are unsearchable, but I'm just gonna give you a couple more. Sixth, God has given you his spirit. Chapter one, verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. See, just as God came into this broken world in the person of Christ, God comes into your broken life 
in the spirit of Christ. And that not only means that you'll never be abandoned, you're never gonna be alone, but it means you are sealed for a, a promised future. And that's the seventh thing that we'll hit on here. God has promised you an inheritance. He's promised you an inheritance. Chapter one, verse 14. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So what this means is whatever comes into your life this day, whatever comes into your life this month, this year, the next 10 years, whatever is headed your way in this life, you are headed his way. You are headed for an eternity of no sadness, no death, and all joy and all life. Promised you, sealed by the Holy Spirit. All right, so take all that, those, just those seven things. Take all that, hold them together, look at them, okay? Look at them, look at these riches. Ask yourself, do you need other riches? Are you still pursuing something else to be your riches? Is there something that you're still looking for out there in strange places when right here under your nose are the riches of Christ promised to you forever and they can never be taken away? So funny story, when we came over to begin worshiping here at Geneva, okay, which they graciously have allowed us to be here all this time. When we first came over for several weeks, you know, we, we had a storage problem, okay? Uh, Geneva doesn't have a lot of storage on this campus. They didn't have any storage that we could use, and that's totally understandable. We had tons of storage at Glen Ridge Middle School, right? And so for weeks, we were toting back and forth from the garage in our office and from Glen Ridge Middle School, back and forth, bringing stuff here and then taking it back for weeks. And then we're sitting around the table as a staff one Tuesday morning for staff meeting, and somebody said, Hey, um, isn't there like a storage center right next door to Geneva? And we just looked at each other like, what have we been doing? The day your life changes is the, is, is the day you look at your life and say, what have I been doing? What have I been doing? Searching to find riches in all these strange places, and they're right here in Christ for me eternally. Maybe you know the story of um, a guy named Richard Wormbrand. He, he was a, uh, grew up Jewish, became a Christian in his teenage years, went on to become a Christian pastor. Uh, this is in the, uh, the first half of the 20th century. Uh, the, he's in Romania, the Nazi regime, and all the effects of that. So finally, these communists come into Romania. They take over, and they send literally thousands of Christians, from pastors just to lay people, to children into prisons, and they put, and Wormbrand was one of them, and they put these Christians, for the first few years of their imprisonment, they were in cells 30 feet below the, the surface of the earth, in solitude, solitary confinement, by themselves, 30 feet below the earth, they weren't allowed anything, they, did, they weren't allowed a book, they weren't allowed paper, they couldn't see each other for years, they didn't see the sun, the moon, the stars, the snow, a flower, and yet, this is what Wormbrand said when he reflected back in an interview on that time. So imagine, 
You have nothing. Like, you wanna talk about poverty. You wanna talk about having nothing. You can't see anything but the gray wall of a cell for years. This is what Wormbrand, in his poverty, this is what he said of that experience. He said, there in that cell, I could experience for the first time the truths of the Bible. He went on, he said, sometimes the walls of the cell shone like diamonds. There was so much light in it. There was so much joy. Jesus and his holy angels had been with me. I had always liked to sing the praises of the Lord accompanied by organ or piano. We didn't have these in prison. But happily, they had put chains at our hands and feet so that we could sing. Onwards, Christian soldiers, cling, clang, marching with the war, cling, clang. He said, I learned in that cell that there exists this joy of Christ which does not depend upon external circumstances. There exists a reality beyond that which our senses can perceive. The riches of Christ, they are unsearchable. And even if and when your life in this world feels like a cell, even if and when your life in this world comes to nothing and you have nothing, you are rich. You have all that he has given you. You got that, the vertical dimension? You got that at some level? the vertical dimension of Christ's riches. Let's move on because we miss out if we don't appreciate this second thing, the horizontal dimension of Christ's riches. Christ has not only bestowed upon us riches that affect our life with God, but they affect our life with each other, with one another. Take a, take a look back at some of the verses in our passage today, starting in verse eight. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So that's a mouthful, but here's what Paul is saying. <clears throat> Paul is saying part of the mystery of the gospel, and by the way, mystery, he uses that word mystery not to say that it's unknowable. He uses it rather to say the opposite, that it used to not be known, and then it's been revealed. This mystery, Paul is saying, part of it is not only what God has done in his love, the way that God has poured out his love on sinners, but it is also that through this love of God, sinners would actually love one another, that they would actually love each other, even groups of people as completely other and totally opposed to each other as the Jews and the Gentiles in the first century. So this theme, again, it's come up again and again throughout the series because it keeps coming up in the text, this idea that apart from Christ, you got two groups who would never be in the same room together in Christ, they are brought together. They are brought together. That's the beauty of the riches of what he is doing through the gospel in community. 
Just this week, I, I was meeting with a local pastor. I had lunch with a local pastor in town. And he was telling me, it wasn't something he came up with, but he had heard some talk of a, a theory, a fascinating theory on the effects of this year, 2020, on the future of the church. And some have theorized this, that going forward, there's, there, there are gonna be four groups of church people, four groups of Christians. Actually, these groups already exist. We'll get to the new part in just a second. These four groups are uh, the cultural distinctions. Okay, so not necessarily theological, cultural distinctions. On the one end, you have the far right, then you have the slightly right, then you have the slightly left, and then you have the far left. Okay, again, cultural distinctions, not necessarily theological. And again, that's nothing new. But here's what is projected. What some are predicting is that going forward after a year like this, any given church will not be able to attract all four groups. In fact, any given church will only be able to attract two groups, and those two groups must be contiguous, like touching one another. So for instance, as a church, you can attract people on the far right and people slightly right, or you can attract people slightly right and slightly left, or you can attract people slightly left and far left, but you cannot attract more than those two groups across the spectrum, and you certainly cannot have all four groups. And I heard him sharing this with me. Now, this isn't prophecy, right? This is just a prediction. But I heard him sharing this with me, and I thought, well, if and when that day comes, we might as well stop reading the book of Ephesians in the church. Yeah, I know that Jews and Gentiles could occupy the same community, but there's no way that I can be in the same community with somebody who has a different interpretation of the intersection of theology and politics. No way. What a sad reality if that is what is coming down the pike. What a sad reality because you know what we lose? We lose some of what Paul calls here the manifold wisdom of God. Paul says God's manifold wisdom has been revealed through him bringing these groups together who are very different. And that word manifold, that word manifold that Paul uses there, the Greek word means many colored, many colored. And it was a word that was commonly used to describe crowns and, you know, an embroidered cloth. And Paul here describes the wisdom of God as many colored, as he brings together a many colored family of God, woven together to be a beautiful tapestry, different yet united in Christ. But here's the thing. <clears throat> Just like your monetary riches, to really enjoy the riches of Christ horizontally, you have to walk in them. You have to step into them, right? It's like if you, you know, your, your money in your bank account is just ones and zeros on a computer until you spend it, till you use it on stuff, right? Same in this respect with the riches of Christ horizontally. We're not gonna experience the richness of what Christ has prepared for us if we don't ever step out into scenarios where we're interacting with, getting to know, having conversation with, learning to love people who are vastly different from ourselves within the kingdom of God. We're not gonna experience the richness of Christ unless we learn how to hold grace for people who rub us the wrong way. 
We're not going to experience the richness of Christ unless we learn how to be people of forgiveness and reconciliation with those who may hurt us, with those who may harm us. So Christ's unsearchable riches, they not only apply vertically to our life with God, they must apply horizontally to our life with one another. And the reason, part of the reason for this flow vertically to horizontally is because of the character traits they should produce in us. So let's look at that last. What, what should the riches of Christ produce in us? Two qualities I wanna highlight that are, that are obvious in this text. And I would hope they would be obvious in the life of anyone who is a follower of Christ. The first one is humility. The first one is humility. Did you notice what Paul says about himself in, in this passage in verse eight? Paul says, though I am the very least of all the saints. Wait, what? This is Paul. Paul, Paul wrote nearly half of your New Testament. Though I am the very least of all the saints. Who are the saints that Paul's referring to? The saints are you and me. <laughs> Paul's saying, you're greater than him. Now, hang on a second, because I've spent some time with you. Uh, I don't know Paul personally, right? But So what's he doing here? Is Paul saying, is this like Paul just being self-deprecating for effect? Is Paul being a good politician here, you know, and this is a way to garner some likes and some followers? No, no, no. Here's what's happening here. Humility in Christ is the result is the result of beholding the unsearchable riches of Christ. Because when you behold the unsearchable riches of Christ, your eyes get taken off of yourself. They get caught up in, they get preoccupied in him and all that he's done. Rather than a life that's preoccupied with you, and what you're doing, your life gets preoccupied with him and what he's done and what he wants to do through you in others. Life of humility. Boasting in the riches of Christ. That's why Paul could say this. That's what he brags about. Not that he wrote nearly half the New Testament, but the riches of Christ. And humility is something, I mean, we can't talk enough about humility because it's something we must always be taking inventory on our own lives to look at. I mean, the natural drift, perhaps you've experienced it even this year, the natural drift is away from humility. The natural drift is to look at what's wrong with everybody else, to think that somehow we've got it together, that we're better, to tear others down, self-righteousness, pride. This is the natural drift of the heart. But when our eyes are focused on the unsearchable riches of Christ, we are leveled. Leveled, not because he doesn't, not because we don't have worth, but because we do have worth, but it's a given worth from him. Humbled. You know what'll keep this church from dividing into those four segments I talked about a minute ago? Humility. And you know what'll give us humility? The unsearchable riches found in Christ, making much of them regularly so that we might stop obsessing about us. Humility, second quality and then we're done, but we have to talk about it. The riches of Christ lead not only to humility, but it leads to zeal, it leads to zeal, zeal for the gospel. For Paul, 
the experience of the riches of Christ is inseparable from the communication of the riches of Christ to other people. The experience of the riches of Christ is inseparable from the proclamation of those riches to others. Listen, y'all, we gotta tell some people about the life and love that's found in Jesus. I heard a story this week from my, one of my best friends, a pastor, and since um, the, um, you know, the initial lockdown, the, the beginning of the pandemic, a neighbor across the street from him, a, a single woman in her 70s, she started attending his church online. It was one of the first churches that she's ever been connected to, ever been a part of. Uh, he thinks that she probably has become a Christian in the last couple of months. She's really plugged into the church. And he meets with her fairly regularly over Zoom just to check in with how she's doing spiritually, what's going on, answer questions. And he was meeting with her a couple weeks ago and she shared with him how she felt that she really lacked boldness and courage to share Jesus with her secular book club. And she was kind of confessing this to him. And my friend, the pastor, said to her, you know, he wanted to encourage her, and he just said, look, he's like, I'm a pastor, and I can relate. You have lived across from me for 10 years, and I didn't even let you know that I was a pastor or even invite you to our church. And she said to him, but shouldn't you have? <laughs> she said, I... I would have started coming to your church a whole lot sooner if you had. I love that story because it illustrates both that it's hard for us. We are timid to share the gospel with people. But on the other hand, how will people know if the messengers of Christ do not bear the message of Christ to them? So let me bear the message one more time this morning as we lead into taking the Lord's Supper. You were created for a perfect love, the love of God. And he is the one who knocks on the door of our hearts. And perhaps he's been knocking on the door of yours. Will you open that door? And will you let him pour into your life a flood of his riches? that he might become your greatest love. If you will, if you have, then what we're about to do together, you do with us, partake in this with us. But if you have not done that yet, if you have not embraced the faith that he is offering to you to believe in his son and what he's done, then hold off on taking communion with us because... Communion, the, the, the bread represents Christ's body on the cross. The juice uh, it represents Christ's blood shed for sins. And even as we partake of this little cracker in this juice, we believe that we are spiritually communing with Jesus in a special, mystical, unbelievable way. And even as it's just a little cracker and just a little cup, what these two things represent makes you the richest people on earth. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord Jesus, would you by your spirit 
knock harder on some doors, beat the door down that our resistance, prideful resistance would not continue to keep you out of our lives. But come in and do all of these things that we talked about, all these riches in our hearts. And then would you make us people who live as you lived in blessing community and blessing others. Lord, we pray against, I don't care what uh, sociologists predict for the church going forward, you're God. And so would you uh, protect us from ever being a church that divides over things that are not central to who you are and what you've done for us. May we be a church that learns to love one another even despite differences. May that continue. May others who are even more different from anybody sitting in this room be drawn into our midst in Christ. And Lord, would you bless now these elements Lord, it's just a cup of juice, just a cracker, but what it represents is not just those things, but something beautiful, something powerful, the very gospel, and you commune with us in this by your spirit. We pray in your name, amen.